Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview-based podcast focused on offering listeners in-depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. The following is an episode of Rawcast Recycle. This piece was originally recorded on the now defunct show Rawcast the Antisocial Commentary Podcast. However, the content does specifically relate to psychedelia, and we think there's some good information here. So if you notice some inconsistencies, that's just kind of the way it is due to the recording process. We are just recycling these for Psychedelicast. We hope that you enjoy this show just as much as our regular episodes. I think that ayahuasca is a kind of an ambassador uh, from from the guy in mind, if you want to put it that way. It has a message for humanity. And, you know, it's a co-evolutionary process that we're involved with. We've always co-evolved with these biologically active plants. But now, because the globe is in such a crisis... You know, uh, and it's because we are asleep as a species, you know, and we become estranged from nature. And I think that, you know, especially in Western culture, we've been brainwashed to devalue nature, you know, and a lot of that, I'm sorry, but I have to place at the feet of religion, you know, it devalues biological existence. And uh, so these things are here to get us to wake up. Good evening, Rawcast. Welcome to the 41st episode. Um, I know you guys are keeping it Rawcasting as always. I'm super, super excited about this episode. Super glad to be with you guys once again, filling your ear holes uh, with some cool shit tonight, guys. Cool shit. I got, uh, you know, we're not doing any research on this one. Um, I've already done the research ahead of time, I guess you could say. Um, But uh, I'm going to tell you guys some stories about my recent experiences, like I promised on the last episode, and man, it is a mind-bender. So, really excited to do this episode. Um, This will probably be one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded. Let's go ahead and hear a word from our sponsors real quick before we get into it. Are you interested in the medicinal benefits of cannabis, but concerned with the legal and professional ramifications of using marijuana? If so, then CBD's Apothecary is a one-stop shop for all your CBD needs. People all over the world are turning to CBD to alleviate stress and anxiety, get better sleep, reduce inflammation, relieve pain, and so much more. CBD's Apothecary curates a full line of branded and lab-tested CBD products. Visit www.cbdsapothecary.com to shop our CBD oils, vapes, edibles, topicals, and supplements. CBD's Apothecary is also home to the only CBD-infused nut edible on the planet, CBD's Nuts. Our edibles start at just $5 a bag, and we've recently reduced the price of our most popular product, CBD's Drops 1,000 mg CBD oil, to only $50 a bottle. We have specifically priced our products to make CBD affordable and accessible to everyone. Shop now at www.cbdsapothecary.com. That's www.cbdeezapothecary.com. 
A-P-O-T-H-E-C-A-R-Y.com. Rawcast listeners enjoy a 10% discount at checkout with the promo code RAWCAST. As always, thank you so much, CBD's Apothecary. Yes, it's true. Our 1,000 milligram CBD oil, we have reduced the price by $10 to only $50 a bottle. Ridiculous pricing. Our 500 milligram goes for $30 now. Um, so we're cutting prices down just to match market demands. High quality CBD at a low price. Check those guys out, cbdsapothecary.com. Um, guess what, guys? No PodCoin promo this week. You know why? Because PodCoin... Uh, as an entity seems to have gone the way of the Buffalo, man. No more pod coins. So we're going to miss them. We, I got a lot of random exposure from uh, that program, whatever you want to call it. Um, so bummer, man. I hate to see that happen. But, dude, this podcasting world is a hard, uh, it's a hard, it's hard out here for a pimp in the podcasting world. Like I would know. Um, I just do this shit for fun. But, I mean, those guys were trying to, you know, build something. Um, as am I, but looks like they just couldn't quite cut the mustard. We're going to miss, uh, promoing, promoing them and we're going to miss the exposure that we got through, through them. And we're going to miss partnering with them. Anyways, let's move on out of that bullshit. At the top of the show, we heard from, uh, Mr. Dennis McKenna concerning the nights, the evenings topic. Guys, I am fresh off the airplane from... Cuzco, Peru. Actually, it'll be one week tonight that I've uh, returned to the the Estados Unidos, as they call it, uh, across the pond or down south. Um, and man, guys, I had a wild, fantastic, beautiful, healing, fun, insightful, amazing experience in Peru. Um, a pivotal moment in my life. Um, so tonight I won't be offering you any research. I did that already in the in the first uh, episode concerning ayahuasca. Tonight I'm just going to tell you about my experiences, and I'm going to kind of what I'm going to do is uh, talk you through it basically, and then I'm going to read a couple pieces that I wrote uh, right after my ayahuasca ceremonies. Um, when my creative juices were really, really flowing, not so much flowing, but I was just in a super heightened, agitated state of creativity, and I had to, like, expel all this energy that was in me because I just, I was just wound up, man, uh, especially after my first ceremony. Um, so let's just get started, man. I, I left Houston uh, on Saturday afternoon around 5 p.m., last Saturday afternoon around 5 p.m., that would be October the 12th. Twelfth, I was on planes overnight. I landed in, finally landed in Cusco around 11 a.m. on Sunday the 13th. I actually had uh, my fl- my final connecting flight. The th- three of three was way way late. I couldn't wait that long. I had to get there um, per the rules of the uh, retreat center. They actually told me it was okay. I could have come later, but I just didn't want to like put them off anymore. So. I bought it. I just bought a puddle jumper, or a, you know, I kind of hopped over from Lima to Cuzco on a new plane ticket. Didn't take my originally paid for and planned flight because they were four hours behind, and I just didn't want to wait that long. I needed to get there, get on the ground, and get you know situated so I could uh, you know begin my preparation um, to uh, imbibe ayahuasca. So I get there. We do our initial checkup. Um, they tell me to meet back there the next day. 
uh, around 10 o'clock in the morning. So I have that day to myself the rest of the day after that from about noon on. So I check into my hotel room, which is kind of like a little bed and breakfast there in the city of Cuzco. Nice little place, very low key. I think I was probably, I think I was probably the only patron of the hotel that night or the B&B, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I check in, get, get situated. And then I just basically walk out the door of my hotel room and begin to walk around the little town there, city square. It was called, uh, Plaza de Armas. Um, so I went over there, had an amazing fucking meal. One of the best meals I've ever had anywhere. Uh, it cost me 33 us dollars plus tip. I think I spent 40 bucks total and it was fantastic. It was a place called the Ceviche Seafood Kitchen right there in Plaza, on Plaza de Armas in uh, Cusco, Peru. If you're ever in that part of the country, I cannot recommend this place enough. The meal was beautiful, delicious, vibrant, ridiculously well-priced. Um, I had a trio sampler of ceviche that was just unbelievably fresh and delicious. Uh, some sort of Andean trout. God damn, it was good, bro. That's all I can say. Uh, meal was fantastic. So from there, from there, I uh, you know continued my kind of foot journey, um, my foot tour of the city. Took in some religious sites. There's a lot of Catholic influence there, so a lot of uh, I don't know what do you call them. They're not monasteries. What do you call Catholic churches? Uh, Catholic churches, dude. Big ass, crazy architectural. Uh, Catholic churches. So I looked at some of those sites. I went to the Central Market there, which was really, really cool. I wish we had these in uh, the States. It was like this giant, like probably four, probably like a, an entire square city block, uh, completely full of people selling their various freshly grown and handcrafted wares and all kinds of crazy shit. They were selling ayahuasca right there in the market, uh, as well as you know, seeds, berries, nuts, flowers, food. Like there were probably 30 different butchers there. So, dude, shit that I have never even seen. I have no idea what it was. It was really, really cool. I wish we had more of those uh, things like that here in the States. Um, so I spent a couple hours there just walking around, buying a couple little trinkets here and there, having some juice and whatnot. I couldn't drink any alcohol. I couldn't drink any coffee. I couldn't have chocolate because of the pre-ayahuasca dietary restrictions so there was a lot of stuff there that i really wanted to i couldn't have pork um or red meat or you know long list of stuff that i wasn't supposed to eat um and i was trying to be i was trying to honor that and i did so i refrained from eating those things or consuming those things um but i really wanted to um so i finally retired back to my hotel room have another small bite to eat um, I decided to fast beyond that because I knew the next day I'd be drinking ayahuasca and I wanted to have a potent experience and I wanted to just have my body prepared for the ayahuasca. So turn in for the night, wake up the next morning, go back to meet at the office portion of uh, Etnica's Shamanic Retreat Center, um, which I cannot more highly recommend that if you want to drink ayahuasca outside the jungle setting, if you want to drink ayahuasca in Cuzco in the Andean Mountains of Peru, um, I cannot more highly recommend Etnica's E-T-N-I-K-A-S uh, Ayahuasca Retreat 
The people were wonderful. The staff was amazing. They were extremely knowledgeable. They took great care of us. The food was good. Um, the lodging was great. Um, the facility was beautiful, well-kempt. Uh, we'll get into more of those details as they come up throughout the story here. But uh, I cannot recommend Etnika's Ayahuasca Retreat more. Truly, thank you so much to Etnika's. I really, really enjoyed my uh, my retreat there. And they made my first experience with ayahuasca as comfortable and hospitable as humanly possible. Um, so thank you to Etnikas. Um, so we met there at their office portion of their business. From there, we were shuttled about an hour and a half away into an area of Cuzco known as the Sacred Valley, which is a beautiful, sprawling valley. We stopped and had a vantage point there. Um, over the entire valley and it was just absolutely gorgeous like just a little just very um, scenic town nestled in between these giant mountains so we continue on our way down into the little town and we arrive at the retreat center absolutely beautiful we are then introduced to the staff um, our facilitator who is basically the guy who is kind of the go-between. He helps us with everything in general, helps translate for those of us who don't speak any Spanish and for those of us who speak a little Spanish. And um, he also just helps and provides us with everything that we need there. His name was Jimmy. He was an amazing, amazing facilitator, great guy, very knowledgeable, very compassionate, helpful, caring individual. Can't say enough about the staff there. We met the staff psychologist. We met the staff doctor, nurses. Um, and then we, of course, met the master shaman, Jorge, as well as the master um, Incan priest, whose name was Nicholas. Um, we all kind of had a group meeting with the four of us that night that were drinking uh, supposed to be five, but we'll get into that as we move through this uh, episode. So five of us there, actually. We meet with the entire staff. We kind of have a, you know, like a meet and greet with each person, including the staff, getting to know each other. Some of us have to be translated for. Some of us um, have to be translated to. Luckily, my Spanish is not fluent, fluent, but I can uh, understand for the most part everything that's being said. And I can communicate back and forth fairly clearly. So I kind of had an advantage um, in this situation just with the language portion of it. It was very helpful for me to have a background in Spanish. Although Peruvian Spanish is slightly different than Mexican Spanish. Not too much. I, I only noticed a few things. It was very easy for me to communicate on the whole. Um, so after that... We kind of are shown to our quarters, we put our things up, and we're told uh, we're going to do basically a yoga and meditation session at such and such a time. Uh, after that, we're going to go drink our, we're going to go do our ayahuasca ceremony. So we go and do the yoga and the meditation. That was actually really cool. Um, I learned a lot in two days about yoga, meditation, and breath work. It was just kind of like you, at, when, after drinking ayahuasca and having these compounds in your system, your body and your mind are just super susceptible or like super open to everything. So you become kind of like an almost supernatural, supernaturally powered sponge for information and various insights. 
So I learned a lot more about yoga, breathwork, and meditation than I ever have in my own venturing into it um, during just these two days, which was basically two sessions of guided yoga, meditation, and, and then breathwork I learned about in the ayahuasca ceremony just through insight and kind of being spoken to. But we'll get there. Um, so we do our yoga, we do our meditation. It's really grounding. I feel energized. I feel ready to do this. My anxiety level is extremely, extremely low. Um, I don't feel on night one, I don't feel really any hesitation. I don't really feel, um, even the, you know, through my years of psychedelic, ex uh, experimentation, there's almost always this like slight anxiety, um, leading up to consuming the compound or, um, you know, just prior to the actual undertaking of the experience, I generally have like a certain level of anxiety. Um, and it was present, but it was so low. I felt so calm and so uh, safe, like partially because of the staff, partially because of the meditation, but partially because I was where I was supposed to be, I feel. Um, we did have one hiccup for me, which was that the day that I landed, my blood pressure was perfect. It was checked by a nurse. Uh, about three hours prior to ceremony, the actual doctor checked my blood pressure, and she didn't really like it. It was a little higher than the day before, and it was a little higher than she felt comfortable with. So she said, I want you to go to the yoga session and try to relax, and let's get your body oxygenated, because at this point, we're way up in the mountains. I forget the elevation. We're high up, though, so there's like less oxygen in the air. My body's not particularly acclimated to it. And, you know, we're about to undertake a particularly serious psychedelic experience. So all these factors lead to my blood pressure being slightly elevated, not anything beyond, not anything that medically could be considered dangerous, but the doctor just thought, you know, they're very, they were very, very cautious with us. And her main goal and objective was to make sure everyone was safe. She did a fantastic job of that. So, um, I do my best to calm my mind, calm my body, lower my blood pressure. It doesn't come down too much. She's not thrilled about it. So she tells me that basically what has to happen is that she's concerned with giving me a full or a strong dose of ayahuasca. So she's going to recommend that for tonight, hoping that my body will acclimate further up until the second ceremony, that for the first night, I'm gonna. she's going to recommend to the shaman that I take a lighter dose than would normally be recommended for me. So um, there's a part of me that is perturbed by all this. Um, I'm like, you know, I came all the way here. I want to have a full experience. Little did I know what was about to happen to me. Um, but I was able to kind of shake that off and say, hey, look, she's doing her job. She's concerned about me. I want to be safe. She wants me to be safe. I'm not going to argue about this. And in the grand schemes, scheme of things, why get worked up over this? Because we're about to do this in an hour anyways, so let it go, basically. So I do that, let it go. And um, the sun goes down, it's about 7 o'clock, we enter the Maloka. Um, my, one of the, the fifth of our company actually was having some issue with his EKG, his heart, he was having some actual like physical issue with his heart, so the doctor told him straight up, you cannot drink ayahuasca tonight, you can sit in ceremony if you'd like, but you cannot drink um, he ended up like just leaving the next day. He never drank ayahuasca. 
he actually was left with like chest pains. So Chris, if you're out there, dude, uh, I feel for you, man. I know you were disappointed. I know I would have been, um, and I hope you're doing okay, man. Um, I actually ended up thinking about him a lot during my ceremony. It was pretty, uh, interesting. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and begin to read this, um, kind of account that I wrote, um, concerning our experience that night. And then I'm going to footnote it for you and kind of step in here and there and describe things that I'm talking about. Pardon me. And whatnot as we work our way through this writing that I made. So this is my account of our first ayahuasca ceremony. Uh, we sit in a semicircle around the outer wall of the Maloka. The Maloka is the traditional hut of the uh, shamanic ayahuasca ceremony. It's circular, thatched roof. Sometimes the outside walls are open air. Uh, sometimes they're closed. This hut was closed. There was a pole in the center that kept up the roof. Other than that, there is no divider in the entire Maloka. It's completely open, circular building. Maestros Jorge and Maestro, pardon me, Maestro Jorge and Maestro Nicholas are centered in front of us. We're all sitting on like thick, heavy mats. We're covered with several blankets. We have pillows. We're basically on like little beds on the floor that are made to be as comfortable as possible and keep you warm because it's about, after the sun goes down in Peru, it's beautiful there during the day. It's like 72 and at night it gets down to like 55-ish. So it's kind of chilly. Um, so we're laying on these little like kind of cots on the floor basically. Thicker mats, blankets, pillows. Very comfortable situation. Um, Jorge is a Shipibo shaman with decades of experience and an almost nightly uh, diet of high-dose ayahuasca. Maestro Nicholas is a high priest of his tribe's Incan religion. Master uh, Jorge blesses the room with a mapacho smoke. He's blown, He smokes a pipe. He takes apart a, a mapacho cigarette, which a mapacho is a... I think we discussed this in the last episode, is a traditional jungle tobacco, raw tobacco, different than what we would smoke in cigarettes here in America. So he breaks the cigarette down, puts it in his pipe, he blows the smoke throughout the room, he's praying, he's doing some breath work, blessing the space. Um, and then Jimmy, the facilitator, comes, the doctor is there. So during this portion, there's the Shipibo shaman, the, the guy who is leading the entire show, the master of the ceremony who drinks a shit ton of ayahuasca, the Incan priest who does not drink but who assists, who's like the right-hand man to the shaman. Um, then there's also the doctor, a nurse, and then Jimmy, the facilitator. They all are in the with us for the entirety of this ceremony, which is like five, six hours long. Um, so they all work together they kind of bring all their recommendations together, and with the shaman, they dose each person sitting there. So at this point, there are five of us. Only four of us are drinking. Doses are poured. I see, I can plainly see that my dose, or the one that I believe to be mine, which does turn out to be mine, is the lowest dose poured. Um, one of the girls who was considerably smaller than me got a slightly higher dose. One of the other girls who is a little bit bigger than her, but still considerably smaller than me, got even a slightly higher dose than her. So, you know, honestly, I'm like, well, I would like some more ayahuasca than that, but I'm not going to argue with the doctor right now. You know, the time is here. We're going to do this and see how it goes. So once again, I let that go again. 
were given our glasses. Um, prior to being given our glasses, Maestro Jorge blesses the room, and we brave, shaky few bless ourselves. Peruvian soil mixed into mud in our palms, wiped through our hair, forehead to nape, and reversed. Three passes each. We wipe our bodies with Agua, agua Florida, which is a sweetly cloying flower water. A uh, very, very strong scent. The brew, uh, the ayahuasca, is poured and blessed. We each hold our cups of dense brown liquid in both hands, perhaps a bit too tightly. Uh, twinge of anxiety, twinge of nervousness there. Uh, I could see some of the other faces around the room were particularly more perturbed than I was, than I felt. Um, the master begins to pray. We pray. We all pray hard. Uh, after a few minutes, the master says, Salud. We all say salud. We raise our glasses. Drink in unison. The lights in the hut go off. Our glasses are collected. At this point, a small fire flickers in the center of the open circular hut. <clears throat> Excuse me. The master prays. We pray. Slowly, the fire dims, fades, and expires. We sit in the black, waiting. Soon, a rustle of blankets followed by a deep, guttural roar of vomit devastates the silence. La Perga. This is a sign that this rodeo is about to begin. The first person to purge purged within 10 minutes of drinking, um, which I was thought it would take a little longer, but I guess it just didn't sit right with her. She was actually given a further dose because she didn't have enough time for the ayahuasca to set fully in, so she was given another dose. And she had a fucking wild experience. We all did. We all did. So, um, in a soft, other otherworldly tone, the master begins to sing. An Icaros to call in the plant spirits, to call in the grandmother. And they come swiftly. My mind is suddenly bent at a strange angle. Everything crackles and pops with immense energy. I try to hold on to reality in a vacuum. It's no use. The electric neon buzzsaw DMT rips into my psyche with a viciousness I've never imagined possible. I am simultaneously dumbfounded, in awe, and terrified beyond description. I am powerless. I am decimated. All ideas and constructs of time and reality are forcibly wrenched from me as I struggle for a grasp on anything solid. Useless. I am blasted through impossibly multicolored, geometric machine tunnels that fold in on themselves infinitely. There's a ghost train in the middle of my back propelling me into this screaming abyss, and I am helpless to slow it down. The tryptamine compound dominates me completely in every conceivable aspect of intimidation. Resistance is futile. Fear will not stop this juggernaut. It grinds my ego into dust. It even briefly assures me that fear is totally useless here. Everything I ever thought was real is gone, meaningless, nothingness. My body ceases to exist. I don't know if I'm breathing anymore. I'm no longer human. I'm a disembodied observer ripping through corkscrewing tunnels of never-ending luminescent sigils and hieroglyphs that morph themselves unintelligibly as I rocket past them. Language fails. Words could never describe the immensity of this power. This is a force beyond comprehension. I don't even try to comprehend. I know it would cost me my sanity. Machinistic tentacles reach out and entangle my thoughts, squeezing me. The pressure is enormous. I spend what seems to be eons clawing my way out of this psychedelic inferno, only to find myself back at the start of an infinite, cascading, cubic hallway. I cannot believe this. I cannot take this. 
A voice somewhere inside says, too bad, watch. The entirety of my being is pixelated, fractured, and erased. I die for the first time tonight. And so this portion of writing is about the, probably the very, the, well, not probably, this is about the first hour to two hours of the experience. It sets in so quickly and with such force and ferocity that you don't have time to recoil from it. It's on you and it's so immensely powerful that you are raptured completely out of reality. Um, it's like having a, it's like smoking DMT, like a DMT, a smoked DMT breakthrough, but for like an hour and it keeps, it's not, I wouldn't say repeating, but it keeps coming in waves. Um, and this happens throughout the entire trip and this happens through in most psychedelics that they come in waves of intensity. So in the beginning, as you're coming up and you're about to, you're getting to the peak portion of it, the waves are coming so rapidly that it seems that it's not ebbing and flowing at all. It just seems like bam, 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 like you're just being pounded and pounded and pounded over and over by this like uh, just onslaught of information, visuals, I mean intense, intense visuals. Like for most of the first hour, I can't really see the real world at all. It, um, with my eyes opened, it's kind of there, but it's so distorted and so overlaid with geometric patterns and fractals and whatnot that it doesn't really matter if your eyes are closed or open. It's if When it's closed, it's even more intense because then you're completely gone from reality. Um, but yeah, I experienced uh, not even, I experienced ego death very quickly, right? I could like, and it was almost like ego death was not as profound as it normally is. It was like, your ego isn't shit here. It's torn apart. It's thrown into the ether. It's gone. It's like not, it's like a DMT doesn't even make a big deal about your ego dying. It's just like, your ego isn't shit here. You should already know that. And it's gone. So it's not like this profound, like, you know, psilocybin or LSD ego death where it's like, oh, wow, this is ego death. Oh, I can feel my entire, like, idea of myself being disintegrated and taken apart. It's like your ego is shredded down to nothing, thrown away, and it's gone. So it's like, it's like it, it makes no qualms about your ego. It's like laughable. But then I have the distinct impression that I'm actually dying. However, this entirety, this entire portion of the experience is so intense that I don't even have the ability to struggle at all. It's, it, it literally is telling me, you can struggle if you want, but it's like, you can see, you can just see by the immensity of this power that it's pointless. Like, what's the point to struggle? You're not, it's not going to help you. Even your fear is not going to help you. Your anxiety is completely pointless. It's telling me all these things. And I'm like watching all this stuff happen and super, like I'm blasting through hyperspace as I'm being told this, like this entity begins speaking to me. And I'm like, it's obvious to me that this is absolutely correct. So I don't even get the chance to be afraid of dying. I don't even get the opportunity to be anxious about what's happening. Um, I mean, I may have a couple of moments where I think I can't take this. And it basically tells me, you can't take this. You are going to take this. You have no choice. Nothing that you can do is going to stop this from happening. Your fear is useless. Your fear is pointless. Um, you're going to die. There's nothing you can do about it. And it's almost like it's so pervasive and so intense of an experience that 
you don't get the opportunity to fight back. I didn't anyways. And so I, I have the experience of dying physically. I'm like, okay, I'm going to die now. And it happens. And I'm reborn. Grandmother Ayahuasca is there, standing serene in my mind atop a golden Incan pyramid. From her chest bubbles green effervescent luminosity reaching out to me. From her forehead, thick purple piece slithers toward me. A massive anaconda that enters my forehead and coils around my pineal gland, constricting my third eye with the most unimaginable sense of peace that I have ever felt. The eye shutters open. I bask in this lavender glow, thanking every god I've ever heard of that she is here. And this is an actual this is an actual like vision. So during ayahuasca, there are like hallucinations akin to smoking DMT or LSD type hallucinations where things are breathing, there's overlaid geometric patterns, there's grids, there's colors, there's um things moving that shouldn't be moving, yada, yada, yada. Those are like visuals, right? But also something that I have with, that I experienced with ayahuasca that I haven't experienced with other psychedelics is literal visions. Um, what might as well be a television playing behind your eyes. This here was an actual vision. This wasn't like a, um, what I would call a, what I would call a, psychedelic visual. It was a literal vision of Mother Ayahuasca standing there, the snake coming out of her, this bubbling luminosity coming out of her, the snake slithering through space to me, coming entering my head. I saw all this as like a sometimes a first person object first person uh, observation and sometimes from a third person observation. So this was a vision. This was not a like a visual hallucination. There's, I, I'm, I'm going to try to make that distinct difference to you because they both occur a lot. Uh, however, this was a like a vision. At this point, when I have this first like clear kind of standalone vision, this is what I would assume I'm about. I say assume here because all concept of time is completely destroyed, much like other psychedelics. Um, but it's particularly lost in this, in, in this experience. Um, so I would assume I'm roughly an hour, between an hour to two hours in when I have this first vision that I can kind of slow down and visualize. I ha I'm having visions and, um, visuals prior to this in what I just described, this very violent onslaught of DMT visuals and visions but they're coming so rapidly and they're so overlaid and they're so complex and difficult to comprehend that the first hour is just is literally just an onslaught of psychedelic information that I cannot hold on to. It's just flowing through me and over me and it's so intense that I know that I can't really try to stop and take it in because it's just moving too vigorously and intensely and too quickly. So I don't really have that option for like the first hour, hour and a half. Until I have this kind of, this vision comes to me out of this intense uh, psychedelic hell that I'm in. And it is, I would call it uncomfortable, although I'm not afraid. It's just very uncomfortable because it's impossible to comprehend Um what, what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling. All my senses are wide open. I'm, you know, everything, smell, every, people are vomiting around me like crazy. So it's just this, like, everything is overwhelming. Um, so I really, 
don't even have the option to stop and hold on to anything because if I tried, I would just be so overwhelmed. So I'm having to let everything go over me, like wash over me and just let it all go. It's my only option for the first about hour to two hours by my guesstimation. Um, so then, yeah, I have this vision of Grandmother Ayahuasca, of the snake. The snake comes into my head. The anaconda delivers me into this, like, this extreme sensation of peace. And I kind of have this moment of where everything slows down for a second. Um, out of this insane onslaught of psychedelic information. I look to my left. My Mimi and my Papa, my grandparents, are standing beside me. Their hands, somehow one, rest on my shoulder. To my right, my Nana and Gramps, my other grandmother and grandfather, stand watch as well, beyond the veil of death. They are beaming pure love and pride directly into my heart. And this is another, this is a vision that's happening around me that I can, I can actually see this um, happening around me, as well as feel them with me. They are beaming pure love and pride directly into my heart. I look down at my chest. A bright golden tone pulsates inside me, my heart. They call it Ford. It arises from beneath my rib cage, hovering outside my physical body. Each of my grandparents begin to touch the glowing orb of my heart with their fingers gently, healing me. I can hear them telling me, you're a good man. You make good decisions. People love you. Now, you must learn to allow yourself to be loved. You cannot earn this love. You cannot acquire this love. You can't take it. It's freely given to you and resides within you. This love was there before the inception of time, and this love will be there eons beyond your death. It repeats eternally inside the hearts of every child of the Almighty God, who is the creator of the universe. This is what you deserve. Even though you can't earn it, try as you may, this is your birthright. And so I'm having these insights, like, spoken to me from my grandparents. And Grandmother Ayahuasca is actually there speaking to me as an entity. And she's, throughout both my ceremonies, this, what seems to be extrinsic uh, communication is taking place via my own thought process. It's my own voice in my head talking to me. But it doesn't seem as though what I'm saying or what's being said to me is coming from within. It distinctly feels like it's coming from an extrinsic source. And it's distinctly feminine and distinctly grandmotherly. Tears stream down my face as my deceased family members fade and my golden heart reinserts itself in my chest. Grandmother Ayahuasca tells me sternly, dry your eyes, we have work to do. My body is then dissected as I look on. I'm split in half, opened up, and I'm looking down at myself as I'm laying on the ground, and this is what I can see. Strange, disembodied alien hands use unearthly tools and lasers to scan and probe the core of my being. I can see them cauterizing here, clipping and reattaching there. I ask them, what are you fixing? They tell me not to worry about it, just watch. I do as I'm told. And this time I'm, and throughout the night as I'm receiving these insights via what seems to be extrinsic communication within my mind, uh, sometimes the entities will change and I can t distinctly tell when they change. This was a different entity or what seemed to be a different entity giving me this insight. 
um, I'm told in that moment, you are not in control here. And this lesson about control can only be learned the hard way. And as I begin to kind of struggle with um, wanting to know what's being done to me and they're not telling me, I die, I have the, the uh, sensation of dying again. And this time it was a little bit more struggle involved because I wanted to know, I'm like, no, I don't want you working on me unless you're going to tell me what it is that you're working on. Um, and, I'm, and I die. I'm reborn. Information is continuously pouring into my frontal cortex, um, but my reptilian animalistic hindbrain is struggling for a handle. Like, um, I need to know why, what you're working on. Why are you working on it? What is it that you're doing to me? Um, I'm told you don't get it. This lesson is very hard to learn, so let's try again. Again, I have the sensation of dying. Again, I am reborn. When I'm reborn again for this third time, this other entity, not not the entity of what I've come to associate with Grandmother Ayahuasca, but this other, what seems to me to be some sort of alien, literally, when I say alien, I, I mean not only other, but I mean kind of uh, in the sense of extraterrestrial or extra-human um, entity that's speaking to me at this point. Um, it basically tells me, don't you see, your need for control is laughable in the face of all this. Like, what do you think you can do? You only have one option. Your only option is to let go. There's nothing you can do. All your need to know, all your need for control is pointless here because it's been taken away from you. And basically they tell me, don't make me kill you again. And this is the point when I kind of... Initially, when I told you I was unable to put up a fight, it's because of the ferocity of the moment. Now I'm at the point where I have an option. I can struggle if I want to. Um, I do. It's not coming at such a with such an intensity that I don't have the option to struggle now. I can struggle now at this point, and I do initially. Um, but when they tell me at this point that that don't make me kill you again, I tell them. I, I, this is what seems to be myself responding to this entity. This is like a conversation, a literal conversation going on in my head between two different voices. I tell them, go ahead and kill me because I'll be reborn. And then it's like Grandma Ayahuasca steps in and I know somehow that I've switched voices and Grandma Ayahuasca tells me, excellent, now let's move on. We will, we will have to revisit this, though, when you forget it, because it won't be long. And I'm like, at that point, she tells me this as we learn these lessons throughout the night. She tells me, we'll be back. We'll have to come back here. And most of these lessons are really hard lessons, and I don't, and they're not fun to learn. So I can, I can remember I keep saying, no, 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 I don't want to come back. Like, I've got it. I've got it. Like, please don't take me back. And she's like, don't worry. We'll come back when we need to. It's okay. We're moving on for now. There would also be times uh, that I'm about to describe right now where I would have these moments of like respite of like peace where she says, okay, we're going to take a break. So at this point, she grants me one of these uh, momentary respites and it seems to stretch into eternity. Once again, my entire concept of time is useless. The energy inside the Maloka, which I can see now with my eyes open, 
um, although I'm unaffected by it in this moment because I've been given this moment of personal peace, the energy inside the Maloka has whipped into a howling fever pitch. I am enveloped in a purple cocoon of breathtaking serenity. I watch as energies are pulled from the other bodies and souls in the room around me and are melded into a fiery blue cyclone that is spinning out of control, rending time and space around us, uh, around us all within the Maloka. The cyclone is not only happening around us, but within us, it seems. It's destroying minutes, days, years, and millennia. I have this ability to travel time and distance as though they are simply ideas that I made up. I can I see my future wife give birth, birth to my firstborn son. I watch him grow. I teach him. He teaches me. This is another vision that I have. Um, I reach back across the ages, gathering the strength and resolve of every male ancestor that preceded me from the inception of humanity. And this is a very detailed, vivid vision that I'm having of my energy traveling back through from man to man to man to man, like starting off slow, picking up speed, and I'm just blazing through past in within every male predecessor in my in my genetic line and I and I watch this all happen. I watch my wife give birth. I hold my son. I watch him grow. Um, these visions might as well be are just as real as anything else you could see with your eyes open. And yet here I am in this moment lying on the floor of the Maloka bludgeoned by the cacophony of purging and intense breath work of the initiates beside me. Um, everyone in there is under the influence of this compound are being channeling various things. Everyone in there's breath work is different. Some people are some people are screaming, some people are crying, some people are vomiting, some people are breathing very quickly. <sighs> some people are breathing very slowly, some people are moaning. The shaman is singing. I mean, when I say cacophony, I mean that is the only word to describe it. And every single thing is heightened by the intensity of your own experience. The shaman's lilting, haunting songs cannot possibly be formed by a human voice. They lead me into undulating cellular tunnels and I follow the torch of his voice into the flickering darkness. Insane alien jesters peek around backlit sacred geometry, smiling impossibly toothy grins. I will these jesters away. Grandma allows me to dispel them. These are like um, the DMT jesters that you would see keep seeing them out of the corner of my eyes in visions and in general visualizations within with my eyes open as well. And they make me very uneasy because they're laughing at me. They're smiling. They're very jovial, but they're it's kind of like they're laughing at your uncomfortability. So it really makes me further uncomfortable. So I'm like, mm, not now. Fuck you. Like, I'm not trying to deal with that shit. And I'm, I'm able to kind of uh, dispel them. Uh, the shaman's language is alien to me. Now, Spanish is not, but the shaman is singing in a language that is not only uh, altered by his phrasing and, and his uh, singing, but he's singing in a language that is not Spanish. Some words are in Spanish, but it's like he's being led by these. He's so far out on ayahuasca, so much deeper than we are, that who knows what the fuck he's actually saying. But um, you can understand, though. So the shaman's language is alien to me, and yet I understand him clearly. 
where the song visibly emanates from his mouth in the form of a wavering jellyfish suspended in front of him. I reach for it, drawing it toward me. It swims through the electrically charged air dancing around my head. I watch the song until it slowly, until, pardon me, until it slows and dies with the shaman's groan. Um, so there are, there are different times in the night when I can see I'm having telepathic connections with the shaman and several other people in the room on such a regular basis that I'm literally able to, what I believe to be, read their minds and that I know that they can see into mine as well. And not only do I feel this and I'm having insights from them, but I can see, I'm having visualizations and visions of our minds connecting through the air with like these kind of um, rings of psychic energy coming through the air and connecting our minds. I'm seeing this over and over and over. I'm watching it in the air as he sings and I'm feeling this connection with other people in the room. And I'm in this moment 100% positive, cannot be dissuaded that this is telepathic. Um, there's still, even now, after it's over, I still have no doubt in my mind that that was true telepathic uh, connection with me and other people. And not just in the room, as I'm about to get into further. So I hope you guys were ready for, strapped in and ready for a fucking wild one tonight. We're not even going to get to my second night tonight. You know, this is going to end up being a, a three-parter because there's still more to, to get to and we're almost at an hour already. So, um... Where were we? Okay, so the jellyfish vision that I see, this, the shaman song swimming through the air, dancing around my head. After the, after this song ends, um, I see, I open my eyes, and I can see these dark shadow entities swirling the room, approaching me. So they appear almost like what you would think of as a ghost, but like a dark shadow, and like they're off the ground, and they're like up near the ceiling, and they're flying around in circles. And then I can see... Um, moving around the room, other like kind of hunched, crawling entities that are moving around the room. And I'm honestly unsure of whether they are the actual facilitators, doctors, nurses, shamans moving around the room, or whether they are spirits. I don't know what the fuck they are. I can't tell. I can't, I literally can't tell. Um, but I have the distinct sense that they are evil shadow entities. Um, and I also have the sense that they are entities brought into this ceremony via the people around me purging them out. Um, so um, these entities begin, some of them begin to approach me and I'm afraid. Um, El Maestro ex exhales a razor sharp sound. And he does this many, many times throughout the uh, ceremony. And this sound seems to be I visualize it as a sword cutting through, uh, in my mind during the ceremony, what I would call it was cutting through the bullshit, but it's like a protective sound that he would use to sometimes refocus you and at other times to literally protect you. And this, at this point, it was like a protective sound. Uh, his breath is a spear. It slices across the space between us and the entities that are approaching me recoil. He is actively protecting me from the blackness that has been purged from those around me. Um, I can see those near me. Even in the darkness, my vision is supernaturally heightened. Now, partially, I can physically see better in the dark than I did before because of the visual acuity heightening aspects of the drug. 
but also some of this is visionary and some of it is uh, psychedelically visual. Um, all of their traumas and pains are pouring from their mouths, those that are purging, in inky, viscous, ebon jets. Blackness is just pouring from their mouth into these buckets. One of the ladies who's purging particularly hard will later tell us that her bucket in her mind was a never-ending black hole, and everything, all the pain and suffering she was purging from her body was being sucked out of her via the black hole of the bucket, and once it went into the bucket or into the black hole, it could never come back out. And the shaman told us, obviously, that's a very good thing to dispel your pain and suffering into a receptacle from which it can never escape. Um, I want to stand up and help them. Like some, like this girl, this one girl who I'm just talking about, she's, pur she's moaning, she's crying, she's whimpering, she's begging, she's pleading, she's purging so, so hard. Like, I'm like, I want to go help her. I want to like ask for someone to help her but they are actually helping her i'm just not privy to all this um because i'm in my own little psychedelic well my own massive psychedelic full-blown psychedelic experience right now um but i, I like i want to go help her um however mother tells me this is uh this is her process she must undergo this alone you have to send her your love uh, don't forget, we're working on you too. Like you're in no position to go help her right now other than the love that you have available. You need to try to send to her. And so I do this and other people as I hear them struggling. I'm like able to project my love and compassion to them via this telepathic connection that I feel with them. And I know, dude, this sounds woo-woo and crazy, but it was so fucking real that it wasn't even a question in my mind. I was helping them. And later on, I would tell, talk to these people about this, and they would say, yes, I could feel you. You're, I could feel you trying to assist me in those difficult moments. So, I mean, dude, sh shit was really happening. It, it was really happening. Um, so I gather the energy from my golden heart that my grandparents have shown me, and that which I've collected from my male predecessors as I went back in time, and I push through the darkness of the Maloka toward them, beaming all of the love and compassion that I can muster to aid in their battles. The Andean High Priest, the um, Nicholas, the priest who is not uh, consumed ayahuasca, stands and blows harshly, doing breathwork over them as they purge, and he waves a long feather. Um, doing various sinology and symbolism and breath work to physically banish their release suffering and no one tells me that's what he's doing but I can it's obvious to me that's what he's doing um, I'm still having these intense uh, psychedelic visions and visuals I'm seeing visions of never-ending cyclopean palaces spread out before me they're ancient black shining massive obelisks rise daunting above the impossible architecture that spreads out before me uh, spreads out below me. I stride between universes serene. Multiple alien moons like the strange and dusty surfaces of planets light years away. Um, I'm jumping from world to world, planet to planet, star to star with the ease of a child playing hopscotch. These visions are certainly Lovecraftian and inspired, but Lovecraft would have certainly renounced atheism had he seen all of this. Uh, I begin to giggle uh, involuntarily, and the warrior... The young man who I had become friends with, who is sitting to my right, he chuckles in unison. Uh, the connection between our two minds, particularly this young man, Xenon, um, and myself, has been uh, 
particularly strong all night and I'm certain he knows what I'm laughing at and I'm certain that he feels this connection between our two minds. I later discussed this with him and he, yes, he confirms that he did feel this strong connection uh, between our two minds, much to my dis surprise. I knew that that was happening. Um, actually, there was a point that one of the, the doctor actually came to me and asked me how I was doing and this was uh, she'd asked me earlier, in the probably in the first hour or two, she, and, she, and I tell her I'm doing okay. Mostly, I'm, she's like, "How are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm fine." And she's like, "Okay," you know. I'm telling her I'm fine because I want her to leave me the fuck alone because I can't tell that she's a human at this point. Um, and she goes, "Well, tell me what you see." And I'm like, <laughs> "Like I kind of laugh." I'm like. Uh, and I basically tell this woman in a very roundabout way because I can't formulate thoughts into words with any respectability. I'm like, there are no words created by human beings that could describe what I'm seeing and experiencing right now. She's like, are you having any visual effects? I'm like, I, I tell this woman, and and they, if some people in the room actually laugh, uh, she says, are you having any visual effects? And I say, very, very intense. And uh, that's all I can muster up to say, and a couple people giggle about that. And I had to giggle myself. And uh, she comes to me again at one point and she asks me, this is toward the end where I'm kind of, I'm able to hold on to things and sit with them for a few minutes and think about them and understand and gain insight. And this is toward the very end of the ceremony. She asks me, close your eyes and tell me what you see. And I tell her, I see my grandmothers. They're both with me. They've been with me a lot of the time tonight. They're here with me right now. I can feel their love. And so I start crying as I'm describing this experience to her. And I see in my mind this like blue wave of energy because as, as this emotion kind of peaks and culminates in me. I see it like, like the Death Star exploding, like this giant blue wave like explode and emanate out of me. And uh, I see that vision or that visual in my head as this emotion culminates and I finish telling her what I'm feeling and she eventually leaves me. And so later as I'm talking to Xenon, the guy that I'm sitting next to me, about how I felt this connection with him all night, he's like, yeah, man, he's like, especially when you were, she asked you what you were seeing and you started to talk about your grandmas, she was, he was like, I had this vision um, as you started it in, you know, wrap up your description of what was happening with you. I had this vision of this blue explosion of light and energy like emanate out from you. And I was like, holy crap, dude. Like I saw that exact same. I had that. We had this, we had these, we had a simultaneous vision at the same moment. So come on, bro. This shit is real, dude. This shit is magic. It, it really is. Uh, there's no question in my mind. Um, so at this point in my description, we're coming to the end, but I'm still having these very intricate, very complex and intense visions. And some of what I've written here is, to the best of my ability, recreating what I was experiencing. However, much like none of my preparation for ayahuasca really meant anything when I actually drank it because all that shit goes out the window and I was no one could ever prepare for an experience of this magnitude. I mean, this is the most this is definitely the most 
intense and important experience of my life to date. Um, so all of my preparation and reading of books and all that shit I talked about in the last episode, that was all pretty much pointless, dude, because this experience dwarfed anything that I could have ever prepared myself for, and it dwarfed any previous psychedelic experience in spades. Like, it makes every other psychedelic mystical experience I've ever had seem, like, funny in comparison. Um, so... A lot of this stuff I'm just recreating as best as I can uh, because it's so unexplainably bizarre and complex that there really truly isn't language to describe it. I, could, I just could never describe it to you. Um, but there's this, this final few moments, uh, maybe final hour of my experience that wraps up here. Um, I reach out across the globe for my brother. I have this really, really strong feeling like I need to find my brother. Um, I wish he was here. I really want him to see this. I want him to know this power and this beauty. So as I'm searching across through time and space, like I'm searching through the ether, I find him in my mind. I direct all my energy to him. I'm aiming for his heart. I can see his heart wrapped in chains and like this concentric thing that's like holding his heart wrapped up. And I'm like, no, 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 I need to get these chains off of him. And I'm not, like, this was not, I don't think this was like an interpretation of like saying, oh, is there something in my brother's life that's chaining him up? I feel like I, I don't know, the the impression that I got was just that I wanted him to experience this. So I was trying to channel the intensity of this experience to him uh, telekinetically or telepathically. So I see his heart wrapped in change. I begin to push hard, pushing my love, my compassion um, toward him. His heart begins to glow golden, uh, like-minded. It builds in luminosity. It begins to vibrate intensely. It's like shaking, shaking, shaking. And then it's like, like the vibration builds to where it's like a glass. It's like a ping pong ball inside a glass. It's like just almost indistinguishable because it's vibrating so hard. The chains are rattling, the chains are rattling, boom, they shatter, they explode. This blinding white light explodes from the pure white orb uh, inside of his chest. It's like brighter than mine, like his heart is like brighter and more brilliant than mine is. Uh, I shield my eyes from this brilliance because it's too much to bear. The light reflects, pardon me, the light refracts and reflects through the hearts of all men and women who have ever lived. And this is a giant vision that I have. Of I can't, I mean, once again, this is like impossible to describe, but it's like I can literally see my brother in the middle of every single human being that's ever lived. They're all like in a, they're all like in formation and this light is shooting out of him in all directions and it's like shooting through every single other person and then like I see it like, and it's going out, 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 and it grows and grows and grows my field of view and it's like, what I can only describe as the entirety of humanity. And they're all connected to this grid that connects everyone. Um, I see them all connected uh, to this essential grid which emanates from my brother who stands in the center of all conceivable creation, teeming billions engaged in this infinite matrix of love and light. Uh, this, a joy unknown fills me and spills over. This ecstasy is unbearable. It's so beautiful that it hurts and I must look away from this vision or risk dying again. I hear the voice speak to me once again, Mother Ayahuasca. Your love is his love. 
It is the love of all God's children, she tells me matter-of-factly, as though it were the simplest truth of the universe, and it is. So I've been talking about love and experiencing this love and a lot of this uh, experience. And the best way I can describe this is that during this experience, I had the palpable, realistic encounter with love that I've never had before in my life. Like, I've always heard the concept of love, and I've thought, you know, I love this person, but this is like a... a a love that you can literally put your hands on and touch and it's so so dense that it's it's palpable it's real it's not a concept it's actually there with you like the love of god the love of your family the love of the people around you i cannot describe it to you in any other way other than it's a, not the concept of love that i'm describing here but the literal physical density of love was with me and I was experiencing it. Um, so here we're winding down and this is the best way I can describe the end of the night. Um, once again, I'm just doing my best here at this point because a lot of these things are hard, to, difficult to remember, not only, but just impossible to describe, not only the visions that I'm seeing, but the insight that I'm receiving concerning these visions and the things I'm being shown and taught like sublingually, without words, without language, like I'm just learning things that are impossible, that don't have words that describe them. They're just, there just aren't, there aren't ways to describe these things. Like they just don't exist. Um, so my soul is sucked back into my body with a pop. The shaman has been singing his final Icaros, his final song for the night. Uh, he's been singing it while I was away, it, you know, uh, caught up in this vision with my brother um, and all this, like, this giant humanity-sized love. Um, the violence of the night is slowing, coming to a gentle creaking halt, and I am very thankful for that. I'm thankful for all. Surely God himself sits here with us, within us, breathing as we do, the mountain standing guard around us. Mama Ayahuasca tells me that, I've, that I'm welcome, that I'm welcome back. And she solidifies several lessons for me as the magic of the moment dissipates. Um, and I literally remember this. She's like giving me these four points that she's like, these are the main things I want you to remember. A lot of the stuff that you've learned here tonight, you're not going to be able to remember. It has become a part of you. It has become infused in you. So a lot of it, you're not going to be able to remember consciously. A lot of it, you're not going to be able to relate to anyone conscious, uh, anyone. You're not going to be able to relate it to anyone because it's just impossible to describe the feeling, sensation, the vision, it's just not possible to put into words what you've uh, encountered. But there were like four major points that she really wanted, she really told me, I want you to remember these, I want you to, to put these in your heart and take these with you. The first one was about allowing myself to be loved, or another way to describe it would be to let go of this idea or this concept that I somehow have to earn love via my actions. Um, and I was given the distinct impression that, that I was kind of, I learned that idea from my father because that's kind of how my father always based his value. And not necessarily, yeah, we're not necessarily talking about love here, but also value, self-value. Um, because that was kind of always how my father uh, taught us, or not necessarily consciously taught us, but how I learned from my father to value myself was via my output and my 
via my own um my own ability to earn love from other people through completing tasks basically that that my value was not intrinsic to myself just for being me but that my value was based on how much i work i could do basically um and so she told me like allow yourself to be loved you don't have to earn it it's freely given to you it's a part of you give it to others freely don't base other people's value on how much they output don't base your own value on how much you output like it's a silly metric you are loved F feel it like be it uh, take it into yourself allow it to be a part of you that was the main overarching um theme for my entire experience that i got uh another thing was that was pretty obvious to me from the earlier parts uh two things from the earlier parts um, one was relinquishing that need for control. Now, I already knew, uh, like, um, instinctually, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I kind of already knew that this was going to come up because I could, I knew somehow that fear was related to control, which is related to anxiety. Like, all three of these things are related um, to control and a need for control. So, uh, she told me, relinquish your need for control because it will not serve you, much as I had to learn the hard way in the beginning of the experience that no matter how badly I wanted to take control of this situation, that it was not an option for me. So I was forcibly shown to, I was forcibly made to relinquish my control, which was a good thing, albeit very uncomfortable and scary. And I had a funny feeling that was going to happen. And... I don't think that that lesson is over for me. And I don't think any of these lessons are over for me, actually. Uh, I think that we just kind of scratched the surface on a lot of these. And I can tell you this, dude. the That lesson about control is a very difficult and uncomfortable lesson to learn. And I don't think that that's going to be the last time that I come up against that particular lesson uh, in working with ayahuasca, which I will do in the future. Um, another thing that I learned from the early aspect, uh, the really, really intense, overwhelming aspect of the trip, uh, which was, you know, as I've been saying, uncomfortable and difficult, uh, was that the power that I had encountered, which I initially was asking, I was actually asking whoever, this disembodied entity or this experience, I was asking early on, like, why are you doing this to me? Why are you trying to dominate me? Why are you showing me things that I can't handle? Like, I can't take this. Like, please make it stop. When is this going to be over? Things of that nature. Um, and I kept getting answers like, you can take it. Uh, it it's going to be over when we're done. Um, things like that. Like, basically, just watch. Like, shut up and watch. You, you've taken, you bought the ticket. Now you have to take the ride. Um, you know, you came looking and this is what you, you found it. You found what you were looking for. Now look. Um, but what I was finally showed at the end was that they weren't, that I wasn't being, I wasn't having this encounter with all this potent energy and power because it wanted to dominate me or to scare me or to frighten me or intimidate me. It's because 
it wanted me to know that this power does not only exist within this ayahuasca world or this DMT realm. This power exists within each and every person, including myself, and that I have access to this extremely potent form of power to utilize at my will. And so I was finally shown that revelation, which kind of like uh, like an aha moment, like I finally understood near the end of the experience, I finally understood like the first portion of the experience and why I was shown things that I thought were too difficult to handle. Um, so that was a very interesting takeaway. And then finally, um, I didn't really mention this much, but it kind of goes into what I was talking about asking about when is this going to be over, time, having no, ha losing my concept of time and, and things like that. Um, there were several points where I would find myself in the midst of the experience thinking about my everyday worries, my cares about the future, mundane things like finishing the bus or how am I going to get home or like are my flights going to be on time, little things like that. And, sh and Grandma Ayahuasca would like chide me or like scold me for this. She's like, are you like basically are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like are you that obsessed with the future? Are you that unable to sit in the present and experience? Like, look at what's happening around you. Is this not the most amazing, astonishing, just jaw-dropping, unbelievable shit you've ever experienced? And you're thinking about shit like how your are your flights gonna be on time? So she would scold she scolded me for that when my mind would wander into those uh, areas. And at the end, she basically told me, hey, like, the future is always going to be waiting for you. It's always going to be there. It's coming no matter what. Um, so you need to learn to be here now. Be content. Be present. Don't always be so overly obsessed with the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And this this is going to play heavily into my next night's experience. Um, I'm going to be kind of taken a step further uh, on this uh being present aspect. Um, and you know, in a way, all of these things are somewhat interrelated and interconnected in like an overarching theme. And so uh, that is the end of the writing uh, that I did concerning my first ayahuasca experience. Apologies for the background noise. These ladies are having fun up here tonight. They're out there making a damn ruckus. Uh, anyways, uh, I've done my best here to describe to you my experience, not only in the visual aspect, but the emotional aspect, the insight aspect on a, you know, kind of a cerebral level as well as, uh, you know, all the various levels of that ayahuasca it affects you on and takes you through because it runs the gamut. Um, it is a very, very intense difficult, rewarding, healing, beautiful experience, all wrapped into one, man. Um, I, it's no other way to explain it. And the, the wild thing is, no amount of my explanation um, would ever give you even an nth of a degree of understanding of what the experience is actually like. It's just impossible. There's only one way to have any idea and even after you have the slightest, foggiest notion, you still really have no idea of what the fuck is going on in there. Because my second night's experience was completely different. Although certain themes played into it, it was a completely different experience. And we'll talk about that uh, on the next episode. Um, but man, I cannot, once again, I can't say enough about the staff uh, there at Etnikas. 
beautiful people, beautiful property. Um, I really am so grateful to all those people to have done this for my first time there. Although I will be looking forward to taking a uh, a jungle experience in the future because they told me there that it was uh, more raw and that you know the shaman actually, the master shaman, um, recommended that for those of us who were further interested in continuing our work with ayahuasca, go do a jungle ceremony because it's such a differing experience. Um, and man, I still, there's still so much to talk about about this. Um, because like there's to, the, the connection with the shaman is very interesting. Um, you know, there are just so many layers and facets that we're not even going to get to. Um, it's just a long story, man. It's a long conversation. Um, but I feel like this is a pretty good overview. If you are feeling called, drawn to ayahuasca, I would. if you feel that call in your life, I would recommend that you take the leap and go do it. The only thing I can say about this is that I wish I would, you know, it's cliche, but dude, I wish I would have done this sooner. Um, it was just a wonderful, eye-opening experience. Um, is the experience going to be all cotton candy and unicorn farts fuck no dude it's gonna put you through the psychological emotional and spiritual and physical ringer dude um by the way i was one of few that never purged i didn't me and my buddy xenon who i was talking about we were the only two who didn't purge so this may this definitely has uh some bearing on the fact of why he, dude, this fucking guy, Xenon, he, I saw his dose on both nights. His dose was like probably three times the amount that I drank. This dude is a fucking warrior, dude. He went so, so deep. I mean, oh my God. I was like, my experience was so intense. I cannot imagine what he went through. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And she's like, you're going to have to take a light dose. After that was over, I was like, that was a light dose? What in the fuck? This is, are we in a twilight zone? That was the single most intense, extraordinary experience of my life. And she's, she's, the doctor said it was a light dose. So anyways, dude, it goes on and on and on. I could, I could continue with this story for hours, but, uh, uh, if you feel the calling, if, if something is, if something is pulling you, Go do it, man. Go do it. Be brave. You can do it. Um, you know, just do it, man. Uh, I recommend it. It's not for everybody. And that's something I'm going to have to kind of reconcile with myself as my t my zealous nature, my very, uh, what's a good word? My very exhibitionist nature tends to make me want to shout from the rooftops about things like this. And I guess that's what I'm doing here. Um, although I do try to tone that aspect of my personality down, um, especially in pertaining to things like this, which do carry serious risks and serious, uh, you know, this is serious shit. Ayahuasca, it's not like taking two grams of mushrooms with your buddies around the campfire or dropping some acid at a music festival, dude. This is real, real serious, intense work being done here. Um, I cannot understate that that this was, and in no part of it was taken lightly by anyone involved, including us and the staff and facilitators of the experience. Like, it, it was very, very serious the whole time. Um, but a beautiful, wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, next, on the next episode, I'll go ahead and finish out this 
ayahuasca series with my second and final uh, experience account, although it won't be the final experience of ayahuasca that I have in my life, I was given very, very clear insight or I was spoken to very clearly by Grandma Ayahuasca um, that she would call me back when it was time, that I had work to do in my life, and that she would call me back when I was ready. And I was commissioned to go home and work. And so that's what I'm going to do now. And that's what I have been doing. And I can tell you this, dude, I feel different. I feel distinctly different. I feel happier than I've probably ever been in my life. My anxiety about the future is literally non-existent. I feel so reset and energized. And I feel so directed um, I just feel like I've been, like, I've been literally given supernatural stepping stone, stepping stones, uh, in my life as to what I should do next. Um, and I've also been reassured and affirmed that I've been making good decisions and that the path I'm on is righteous and that I'm doing the right thing and that I'm a good person. Um, so this has been a this has been a crucial moment in my life and a pivotal experience for me and i'm very very thankful to have had the opportunity to undergo this experience um i really it's difficult to explain what it's meant to me and the changes that i've felt in myself um after this experience. So, uh, we'll talk further about my la my uh, next experience on the next episode. Until then, raw casters, keep it raw casting. Hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. I know that this was this is going to probably be one of my favorites. I love uh, psychedelics and I love consciousness expansion and I love sharing these things and discussing these things. I'm going on uh, No Redeeming Qualities next week. Uh, just to chop it up with those guys, Bob and Zip. What up? Love you dudes. Going to go chop it up with them. Uh, They're interested to hear about my travels, but also, you know, we always have a good time just uh, fucking around with them. So catch me on No Redeeming Qualities. I don't know when the episode will drop, but I'm recording with them a week from yesterday. Uh, beyond that, I'm going to see Tool uh, tomorrow, Sunday evening. I got a dope ass seat for like a hundred bucks I held on I avoided buying the ones that I wanted I waited to the end and I I said a hundred bucks for a decent seat well well worth it so I, I'm pretty happy with that little score there so I'll be at the Toyota Center Sunday night checking out the homies uh, the dudes and tool really excited for that that's gonna be sick might gobble up some shroomies I don't know we'll see how it goes um Tomorrow I'm going to go work on the bus, afterwards chill with the fam, do some grill, drink a couple old fashions, do some fall chilling around a fire, super excited for that. Um, man, life is good right now, y'all. I really want you to know that I love you guys and that uh, if you're listening to this, dude, um, there is something out there that is much bigger and more powerful than we are. And I've kind of intuitively understood that in my life, but I've never been so viscerally 
and undeniably privy to that information as I was last week and as I feel that I'm still in the presence of right now. Um, God is real. God is not what I've thought he was in the past. Um, he's not what you think he is. He's not what I think he is now. He's not even a he. He's inside. Of, God is, lives in all of us. And I'm not trying to get too woo-woo or crazy on you, but dude, I've been, <clears throat> I've had an experience here that can't be denied. So I love you guys and uh, I appreciate you guys um, listening to the show and we'll talk some more about this in the future. You guys keep it raw casting. Have a good night. We fucking love you, baby. <laughs>